1: We're broadcasting in this our ninth year right across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. That makes it pretty exciting. Entertainment's exciting. Technology's exciting. Woo! This is where it all happens. Wow, it was a hell of a week in LA here last week. The Academy Awards awards were on. They're only about maybe a mile down the road from... Our place, and it seemed like every road was closed. All of the good bars and hotels were full of stars and big burly bodyguard people with lots of curly things hanging out their ears. Difficult to book in anywhere, but nevertheless, it's an exciting time. Now, did you happen to see the news that airliners have got cameras built of the screens on the seat backs? What? They have apparently been there for a long time, but until one curious passenger had a really careful look, the airlines had kept it a secret. Apparently, the newer seat-back entertainment systems on airplanes operated by American Airlines, United Airlines, Singapore Airlines, and a bunch of others, they all have cameras. And it's likely they're also on planes used by all sorts of people. Of course, A United spokesman uh, repeatedly told reporters that none of its entertainment systems had cameras. No, none of our entertainment systems have cameras. A little while later, they said, oops, (laughs) yes, we made a mistake. Some of our entertainment systems actually do have cameras. And then a few hours later, it was, oops, again, yeah, we've got cameras, but we've never actually activated them and we've got no plans to use them. Well, if they got no plans to use them, why the hell have they got them? Let's just whack them in for fun. I don't trust them. The story is that the companies that make the entertainment systems are installing cameras to offer future options such as seat-to-seat video conferencing. What? So you're in five... B, and you want to talk to somebody in 36D (laughs) on the plane. Bullshit. Who do they think they're kidding? It's ridiculous. The airline stressed that they didn't ask for the cameras to be added. Manufacturers just went ahead on their own and embedded them in the entertainment system. Who believes that? I would imagine that the um, manufacturers would be putting in the entertainment systems as cheaply as they possibly could. That'd be a tender basis probably. So why don't we stick in a couple of pieces of extra expensive stuff just, just cause. As cameras become progressively smaller and more powerful, they are being built into more devices, including Nest security devices, as we, and refrigerators and so on. We now learn that the presence of cameras in aircraft entertainment systems, this has been known in aviation circles for at least two years, but it hasn't been known to the general public until like last week. We're supposed to believe that the equipment makers didn't consider the privacy implications. They said there were already cameras on planes, although they're nowhere near as intrusive. And the companies assumed that passengers would trade their images for convenience. (laughs) Jeez. Because we do it with facial recognition technology and immigration checkpoints, why shouldn't we do it on airplanes? Are they serious? Now they're facing blowback from a very vocal group of people questioning the value of the system that supposedly isn't even active. American Airlines say the cameras are in premium economy seats on 82 Boeing 777s and Airbus A330-200 jets. And American has nearly 1,000 planes. Singapore says cameras are on 84 Airbus A350s, Airbus A380s and Boeing 777s and 787s. And Singapore's got 117 planes. So the news expands the growing growing paranoia concerning digital privacy into the aviation industry. It's notorious for its outdated and vulnerable technology. You know, hacking a connected device at 35,000 feet wouldn't probably be as easy as breaching the airline's website, but the vulnerability of network cameras in general, it remains putting the privacy issue aside for a moment. Makes, apart, from, apart from privacy, it makes us all to And if they can get into the seat backs, maybe they can get into the rest of the systems. So the recent onslaught of privacy-related news won't help the public sense of unease either. Earlier this week, Google admitted that it failed to disclose that its Nest Secure Home Security devices have a microphone wedged inside them. Now, we didn't know about the microphone. We thought it was just a camera. So whatever you say near the door, outside or inside, is probably picked up by their microphone. Less than a month before that, Google confirmed a recent uptick in hacks on its Nest security cameras, allowing attackers to peer into users' homes and utter obscenities and abuse through its microphone. I don't mind the obscenities and abuse, but I do mind them listening to everything I say when I'm standing near the door, like perhaps asking what the uh, security code is. Wow. So while the airlines say they've got no plans to use the cameras, it's suggested that just to be sure the carriers should perhaps slap stickers over the lenses. I think that'd be a great idea. However, they won't do it. So if they won't, and that's almost a certainty, I reckon, we'll be taking our own stickers on flights from now on or maybe just a (laughs) Band-Aid and just cut off the sticky bit at the end and put it over the camera. Apparently, when you look, if you look hard enough, you can spot the camera pretty easily. But unless you're looking for it, you'd never get it. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? Well, you should. We've got about 1.75 million daily subscribers. It takes about 30 seconds to read. Well, it's telling a lie a bit. It's probably closer to a minute. And every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop and autonomous cars, blockchain, All sorts of stuff. We've got people that read it every day and people who send us notes every day. Every day we include a joke in the newsletter and uh, we get lots of comments about the jokes. A couple of days ago in the newsletter, we discussed the genius that is Musk. Now, Musk's master plan is to create habitats for humanity on other planets and other moons. And that's just one of his ambitions. Others include converting automobiles, households and as much industry as possible away from fossil fuels to sustainable energy, implementing high-speed city-to-city transportation via vacuum tube, which is the Hyperloop, relieving traffic congestion with a honeycomb of underground tunnels fitted with electric skates for cars and commuters. They tested it out in LA just recently. It was a huge success creating a mind-computer interface to enhance human health and brain power, and also saving humanity from the future threat of artificial intelligence that could run amok. So if you want to keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology and read about interesting things like Mr. Musk and ensure that you're able to compete in this ever-competitive world, you should get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. Simply go to my website bobpritchard.com, and subscribe. It's really easy. Now, cybersecurity is still frequently an, just an afterthought for corporate leaders. Just how stupid can they be after all of the media that it gets all the time? This lack of focus is particularly apparent and especially dangerous when companies are exploring mergers and acquisitions and spin-offs. Such deals often involve hidden or poorly understood security risks, and the biggest risk is that the company is buying a firm that has a security breach that neither side knew about until the deal was completed or perhaps didn't know about it at all, until they were hacked at some time later on. One would think that by now assessing the cybersecurity situation of potential merger and acquisition targets, you'd think that'd be a priority of the due diligence process, wouldn't you? But it isn't. Surely, corporate deal makers these days are clued into and closely scrutinizing scrutinizing such risks, right? No, not so much. Cybersecurity is an afterthought, and companies' chief information security officers, or CISOs, as they're known, aren't part of the process. In fact, business executives often don't realise that the deals they've signed or the products they've adopted have security implications that could compromise their computer systems and possibly affect their whole company. A lot of business leaders today don't understand how much cyber risk the organization faces. It's with major deals that these risks often come to light sooner or later, or they just become more acute. The one that executives should be most concerned about is that the company they're acquiring has already has its systems compromised. Then the biggest risk is the breach that you don't know that you're buying. So many firms simply don't have a good grasp of the personal data in their possession. New privacy laws in Europe and California require companies to be more judicious about the data they're gathering on consumers And to do a better job of safeguarding it, companies that fall afoul of the rules face really heavy fines. So too many firms understand what kind of data they're collecting. Most of them don't know how they're collecting it or even where they're storing it or how well protected it is or what the hell the company's gonna do with all this information they've got once they deem that they've got enough. So it's possible that two companies in a deal may have incompatible security systems or one company much might have just a much weaker system than the other. In either case, the amount needed to upgrade security may be an unforeseen cost of the deal and it could be very substantial. Also, an uncertainty and lack of a strong cybersecurity can create a lot of opportunities for scam artists and criminals. So if they can get in, it's amazing what they can find. And there's serious risks that these businesses are facing. More companies are recognised these risks than they did in the past, but not enough of them. It is still hopelessly inadequate. My interview today is... Um, a repeat of one I did a few weeks ago with Ian Jones, who's the CEO of a project called Nature's Coin, and is arguably the most professional blockchain operation out there today. As you know, blockchain is growing at a thousand miles an hour. Everybody's putting in blockchain. I think something like seventeen hundred and eighty major companies put in some form of blockchain last year. And as you know, I'm a strong proponent of the blockchain and of Just a handful of cryptocurrencies, I know there's two and a half thousand or something out there, but um, we only like about, well, maybe a handful of them that are good, solid investments for the future. And I've never seen a blockchain company with so much firepower as nature's coin. So I decided that it was worth repeating. So this is Bob Pritchard. And I'll be back with Ian Jones, the CEO of Nature's Coin, in just a moment.
0: You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. We're over the past nine years, gee, it doesn't seem like that long, we've given you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. And the interesting and exciting new initiatives that they're venturing out on. We, we talk to the entrepreneurs behind these projects and we talk about the services they provide, the challenges that they faced, how they overcame them, and I guess deep down we try to ascertain what it is that makes them tick, what makes them special. Because every entrepreneur with a startup faces the same issues and challenges that all business executives and entrepreneurs face. We all have the same problems, and yet only two startups in every 100 succeed. So 98% fail, and that's a pretty high failure rate. So that's why I urge people to surround themselves with mentors. Get yourself some people around you who have been successful in the past, who are business people. They don't have to be in the same field that you are. But have people that you can bounce things off. Don't get mentors that are cousins or uncles or brothers or sisters or people that will be always nice to you. You want somebody who will tell you straight out when you're wrong. And also listen to programs like these and buy biographies and autobiographies of, about people who are successful. Now, as we've discussed many times in this program, there's been an explosion of cryptocurrencies and project using the blockchain over the past couple of years. There are now around 3,000 cryptocurrencies and according to Marius Kramer, who I've spoken about many times in this program, he's the number one Bitcoin writer on Quora worldwide and he's really great reading almost every single day of the week. But according to Marius, there's only about 10 coins that um, or tokens that represent good value. And I know quite a lot of people that have set up coins or tokens around an idea, but I know very, very few that have really done it properly. Many of them have got up, come up with an idea and have a coin on the market within a month or two. And for many, it was a way to make quick money from an ICO. But this week's guest is an unbelievable history with over 30 years in intellectual property commercialization. He's a managing director and a CEO. He's been in media, financial services, biotechnology, property, and agribusiness. He's, he's really a well-rounded guy. And he surrounded himself with an exceptional board of senior corporate leaders, and they've got decades of experience in private and public companies, NGOs, and governments across the globe. But not satisfied with having a fantastic board, they have also pulled together Some of the best advisors in the world, firms like Alan Overy, the world's seventh largest legal firm, and Grant Thornton, Global Financial and Business Advisors, Applied Blockchain and Block Advisory, who are the number one blockchain developers for major global institutions, and Navora, the government-approved token exchange developer, part owned by JP Morgan and VSA Capital which, as you probably know, is the investment bank founded by ABN AMRO executives. So I've never seen a blockchain company with so much firepower before. And as you know, um, I've been heavily involved with lots of conferences on um, crypto and on ICOs. And uh, this one is really quite exceptional. The project's called Nature's Coin. And... uh, It's arguably the most professional blockchain operation out there to date. Nature's coin is an asset-based backed security token. So it's not really a cryptocurrency, so it's not a Bitcoin clone. It seeks to fill the gap between decentralized economies and real world use. It's practical. Based on blockchain technology, it's developed by brilliant business and tech thinkers who focused on putting real value into the Nature's Coin security token. Now, one of its most attractive features is that it solves real-world problems that affect everyone. How to make the world more environmentally sustainable and socially responsible. As you know, if you listen to this program for a long time, I've um, been involved in many, many discussions with NGOs and with um, small enterprises, particularly in Africa, and there are a million problems around getting funding, making sure the funding is used wisely, and determining the outcome of the use of that funding. They're all really difficult problems. Well, Nature's Coin is using the power of blockchain to convert corporate commitment to environmental and social causes from a cost which it currently is, to a tradable balance sheet asset. Corporations are pressured to do more social and environmental good, but at the same time, they need to deliver increasing return on investment. So it's getting more and more difficult to generate money from the corporate world that is just going into a pot that no one is responsible for. Their Nature's Coin lets them do both. It's a game changer for the corporate world and it's a game changer for the planet. It's quite a breathtaking leap to connect blockchain, corporate investment, environmental sustainability, but that's just what the Nature's Coin Coin team has done. And I have Ian Jones, who is a brilliant guy on the line, Hi Ian, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world.
2: Hi Bob, Uh, thanks for inviting me to your program. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Now, Nature's Coin is an extremely well-structured security token with some of the best advisors in the world. Now those things don't happen quickly. How long has it taken to pull all this together?
2: Well, Bob, it's taken a little over 12 months to get it to where we are now. Um, But back in 2017, we were trying to make sense of the the cryptocurrency frenzy and the underlying business models to see where there might be opportunities. Yes. We saw that the real story wasn't Bitcoin or the crypto hype. In fact, it was the transformational power of blockchains to do amazing new things. And curiously, at the same time, we just happened to be reading various reports about how the current structure of the financial markets make it unattractive for companies to invest in eco-friendly and sustainable projects, as you've outlined, and also how the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals uh, need massive support from the business world, but it wasn't just happening. And uh, that got us all thinking, and once we joined the dots, we realised that we could use blockchain to solve that big problem for corporations, which is they have been pressed to do more for social causes, but they're reluctant to do it because it's a cost which affects their profits and therefore their shareholding. Yep. And also the problem faced by the sustainable development goals which need corporate investment but aren't getting it. So as as you've outlined, in simple terms, our model converts corporate and environmental uh, social responsibility contributions from a cost to a tradable investment asset, and that makes it attractive for companies instead of being a, a, a burden to do so. Uh, the blockchain also has a limits transparency in governments which corporations have to be accountable to shareholders and the markets like so we pulled all that together over a period of uh, several months once we've got the model right uh, we realized we needed world-class advisors and uh, we did that over 2018
1: and now uh, here we are it, it's it's fantastic but it, I've, I've spoken to literally I don't know probably 50 um, projects in Africa that need funding that um, represent probably good long-term investments, but securing funds for them is extremely difficult because the corporate world has the feeling that you know it's, they're not accountable, and uh, you give the money, you're not quite sure how much of the money is actually going where it's supposed to be going, and uh, it's it's just too risky it looks too irresponsible so yeah you provide funding for worthy projects and those investments can generate profits as i've just said so how does the nature's coin security token fit into this i mean it's one thing to to um invest money and get money from a corporation and then invest it how how does the security token fit in
2: Okay, when, when we first began Nature's Coin, it uh, was actually labelled as an asset-backed cryptocurrency because back then the, the concept of a security token hadn't even been thought of by anyone. Yeah. Um, but as, as managers of public and private companies over many decades, we were actually rather troubled by the whole cryptocurrency sector, which really was just focused on conjuring tokens out of thin air without regard to real value or proper regulations. Yes, So we knew our model was was completely different and needed the right approach. So it was obvious to us that we would link the Nature's Coin token directly to a real project that was generating value in terms of commercial and social return. Um, and as a result, every owner of the Nature's Coin security token can be comforted by the fact that it has something real behind it. Yes. But it's making a positive contribution to the planet, and through the blockchain, it is directly linked to a specific project.
1: Yep. So as the investment generates a return, or the, the accumulation of all the different investments generate a return, the value of the security token increases. So people um can see the return that they're getting and it's also liquid isn't it you can they can um cash in their security tokens if they if they wish to and um get a return on investment
2: yeah that's that's correct it's um uh we operate like an economy uh not just a simple blockchain with a smart contract and and so as the, as the value of the economy grows, uh, as the value of the underlying asset grows and the returns, the commercial returns from those assets are funneled back into the blockchain, then there is upward pressure on the uh, value of the token, which, as you say, can because it's a, a regulated security token, it can be traded on regulated exchanges at any time.
1: So why is Nature's Coin different from other cryptos and security tokens who also say that they're working on sustainable development and the UN goals?
2: Um, Well, we're actually very unique. There's no other enterprise that resembles us uh, in in total. Um, As we've said, we're we're an asset-backed security token, a regulated security. We're also a stable security token, and that eliminates the extreme volatility which plagues a lot of the, you know, general cryptocurrencies. (laughs) This makes it it. attractive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. I mean, nobody likes to see their investment go down by eighty or ninety percent, obviously. Um, But uh, by eliminating the volatility, because we're focused on really the corporate and fund management investment market, Um, it makes it attractive to corporations. So we're not a cryptocurrency, as you've mentioned, and we're certainly not a cryptocurrency play. Um, We operate like an economy. In fact, we've been labelled as the ecology economy, Um, and that means we support any sustainable development, not just these sort of niche programmes like carbon credits or food certification or green energy or forestry conservation and so on. Um, So we're broad-based. And uh, everything, whether that's an environmental cause or a social cause, uh, is um, <clears throat> of interest to to us. Um, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals of those 17 broad-based goals, only around six of them relate to what people would traditionally think of as eco-conservation type causes. Right. Uh, the other the other 11 are for. Uh, social and empowerment causes, economic self-determination, indigenous rights, women's rights, all, all those kind of things. Each one is equally important. And, and so what we wanted to do was to not cherry pick, uh, the sustainable development goals, but really create a new class of social capital that supports all these activities to make the world fairer, and more prosperous, environmentally sustainable for, for everybody. And I think that makes us unique because no one else that we're aware of has that um, that vision. Um, we put together our operations to be, in fact, a corporation. Uh, we are a corporation that, that is managing a broad-based investment ecology economy. Yep. Uh, and for that, we need world-class and le- leading um, legal accounting and blockchain advisory firms, which which we have. Um, and our executive managers, which you've all already mentioned, are experienced in um, all forms of corporate management. We've got current and former United Nations, Indigenous, Sustainability Youth Leaders um, from um, three continents. So, yeah, I think we're very different from anything else that has uh, those sort of neat eco-conservation-type focuses out there.
1: So, just a question that occurred to me is... How will you determine what projects to invest in? What's the process?
2: Okay. Um, when we first kick off the uh, the Nature's Coin uh, economy, we'll have a series of projects that we will be introducing ourselves and we're working on a range of those. We tend to look for uh, what we call white label type projects. In other words, things that are not capital-intensive, don't require a huge amount of investment and can be implemented in a number of places. And some of those include hemp, bees, some agribusiness projects, some forestry projects, uh, and a range of things, Um, and most of which, as I say, can be replicated anywhere. Um, We are also looking at a number of uh, existing World Bank-funded projects Uh, which operate out of uh, Central Asia at this point in time, uh, looking at acquiring those. So we will kind of kickstart the economy with with a number of projects. From there on, uh, it's really open to uh, individual corporations to bring their projects on board or just invest directly in the fund and there'll be a series of processes by which we'll choose and select other projects. We'll be inviting people to propose their own projects as well. So it'll be a very participative economy. Obviously, each project needs to go through the appropriate um, due diligence uh, examination. And again, we're putting together the uh, advisory and professional teams to allow that to happen, to do the commercial due diligence, the risk and governance due diligence, and all the environmental sustainability and social governance due diligence as well. And it needs to hang in the part of it. So it's, it's quite a process. Uh, these will go through that pipeline and then will be automatically onboarded into into the um into the economy.
1: Okay, so how does the Nature's coin blockchain work?
2: Okay. Um, so essentially, we operate like an ethical managed fund uh, whose assets are secured in the blockchain. Yep. so when money is invested, it generates a, a security token at whatever the dollar value nature uh, to an exchange rate is at that particular time. Um, and these security tokens, less the various fees uh, in generating them, are owned by the investor, uh, whether that investor is a corporation or another fund or, or a person, and they can sell them, hold them, give them away to customers or shareholders. The invested money is then allocated to uh, an approved sustainable project, and that's pro- that project is actually owned by the blockchain or co-owned by the blockchain and the project developers. Um, the revenue from the project is then divided between the project itself uh, to give a return to the operators and to the blockchain, which is what we use to increase the value of the tokens. So it's, it's a reasonably straightforward process as to how it works, but... By channeling it through the blockchain, we create all these interesting new innovative ways that we can uh, get people involved, get corporations involved, make it attractive, and to really amplify the uh, flow and effect of investing in sustainable causes.
1: With the um, due diligence process, is there a risk that smaller, worthy projects that um – don't really have a history or whatever, I mean, is there a, a, a size limit to what you can invest in? Well, uh, you,
2: you mean an upper size limit or a lower
1: like size limit? A lower, <laughs> excuse me, a lower size limit. Um, but
2: no, I, I don't believe so. The actual the actual uh, investment criteria and parameters are, are still under development. Um, obviously, as an economy, if you think of the, the US economy or the Australian economy or, or any other economy, uh, it's really comprised of a whole series of, of participants, whether they are individuals, whether they are small um, businesses, or whether they're medium or large-sized businesses. So we see, because we operate as an economy, that there there is a place for everybody providing they are operating you know, in accordance with the criteria yeah. and standards as set by the Sustainability Development Goals, the United Nations yeah. Sustainability sure. Development Goals. And they're, they're operating ethically and in accordance with the due diligence and audit requirements which will be in place uh, to you know, manage the ongoing uh, operations of the economy.
1: Right. Another difference from the overwhelming majority of cryptos I guess this, you're not using an off-the-shelf Ethereum clone like 90% of other people are or one of the other standard blockchains. Why have you chosen to use a different model?
2: Uh, Bob, it's, it's because we're an economy and not just a simple smart contract uh, related to generally one asset class. Um, and our economy includes people, corporations, NGOs, non government organisations and governments. And they'll all participate in in different ways and at different frequencies. Um, And so none of that fits an off-the-shelf Ethereum clone or any of the other standard blockchains, to be honest, and we've looked at most of them. So our advisory teams, what what we are doing is our advisory teams are now doing our economic modelling of how the economy is going to work based on that design our blockchain developers then will build the right blockchain uh, for us for our model
1: OK that makes sense so how does Nature's Coin change the paradigm for corporations and individu- individuals that want to invest in socially responsible programs apart from um,
2: well yeah well it changes it, uh, uh, yeah it changes it a lot um, I mean one of the one of the rules of thumbs that we've all had as as business developers and entrepreneurs is that Businesses succeed because they solve someone else's frustration with the current way of doing things. And we've already spoken, and there's a lot of frustration in the you know, the sustainable eco-conservation world. There sure um, is. We've already spoken about, yeah, corporations are being pressured to do more environmental and social causes, but that's cost to them, which reduces profits. And, and that's a real dilemma for boards, and I, I sit on a, a number of boards and I know that very well. So we can change that by making it into an asset instead of a cost. Um, The asset being the Nature's Coin security token, it becomes a tradable liquid asset so they can move it around whenever they want. Now, that's going to make boards and shareholders everywhere very happy and CFOs, of course, uh, because suddenly we've flipped the whole model and solved that frustration for them is how do they do good when it's a cost to them? Um, we make it into an uh, investment asset. For people, You know, their frustration is they donate to causes, but they read about how most of it gets spent on administration by the NGOs, or they recycle and do the right thing. Yep. But it never seems to make any difference because the best of the interests just keep denying the world has a problem and, and doing the wrong things. But instead, sort of by donating by the Nature's Coin blockchain, this time they can see exactly where the dollar goes and it can't be undone. Um, They can also vote by participating in the Nature's Coin Economy with their wallets and support corporations and brands that are doing the right thing. So we wanted to, our fundamental theme that we wanted to build within the Nature's Coin Economy is the process of of empowerment. In other words, giving the power back to people to make a difference, giving the power back to corporate boards to be able to make a difference because it's no longer a, a cost to them, it's a positive contribution and it, it gives brand development opportunities and by giving the power and trust back to governments and uh, non-government organisations which have by and large uh, lost the trust of the people um, because there's a lack of transparency. So it's it's a whole paradigm across the mix of, of the people, corporations, NGOs and governments who participate in our economy and want it yeah, when you
1: When you speak to um, NGOs all the the entrepreneurs themselves at the grassroots or corporations um everybody's unhappy no one likes the current situation nobody trusts anybody else everybody thinks that the other person's ripping off money it's it's really a mess out there and that's affecting the amount of money that's getting donated or invested yeah,
2: that's- That's that's exactly correct. I mean, when you read the the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and its objectives and all those kind of things, uh, they make it very clear that uh, everyone needs to participate in this, people, corporations, governments, NGOs. It's it's not just the United Nations initiative. Um, And uh, that was released in 2015, and here we are sort of three and a bit years later, still really not achieving the goals we are because the current system doesn't allow that to happen because of financial markets, the vested interests, all those kind of things. And so when we connected the dots about blockchain and, the, and all the problems within the current system, we realized that instead of trying to fix the existing broken system, we could in fact create a new one. And that's what we've done.
1: Corporations, um, I think many people have confused Bitcoin uh, with blockchain. People, A lot of people don't understand the difference between cryptocurrencies and, and the blockchain. At corporate level, do you think that boards, you sit on boards, do you think boards really understand how blockchain um, can... Um, Totally disrupt the way we do business. Do you think? Do you think that they really understand it at the moment, or are we still in that early learning process?
2: We're still in a relatively early stage. Um, the the process, you know, the cryptocurrency blockchain evolution, by and large, mirrors what happened with the you know with the dot com boom. Um, yep. You know, the dot com really started because there was the internet, and the internet was there really to transfer. Um, information from one party to another, uh, and then suddenly everybody got the great idea that we could use it as an alternative marketplace. In other words, um, you yep. know, e-commerce, um, and uh, so everybody sort of piled onto the e-commerce bandwagon um, without giving any thoughts to how they're actually going to execute it and deliver it. Back in the days when it was still dial-up modems and this and all that, all those other things, and, I the, world. and the yeah, I mean. You know, there was no 4G, let alone 5G. There wasn't even 1G in those <laughs> days with mobile phones. So, the, you know, the, the infrastructure in the world wasn't ready for it and, and everybody came up with high-falutin business plans and all fell to bits. Um, but out of that emerged Google and Amazon and eBay and PayPal and all so- these other things which, uh, uh, and which made a huge difference to our lives. In a similar way, um, it was only in 2009 that um, the original blockchain with Bitcoin architecture was released. Uh, It had limited use, um, but then uh, you know certain elements in society could see that it was a way to move money between parties um, outside the regulatory system, which obviously appealed to you know uh, criminals and and other people that wanted to avoid regulatory checks. The price of uh, Bitcoin. Skyrocketed because it's simply a supply and demand thing. Um, yep. You know these uh, these things are created out of thin air. There's nothing behind them except the expenditure of electricity in generating in here and solving the algorithm that generates them.
1: That that actually um, that actually might be more behind it than there actually is in the US paper dollar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not buy into that one.
2: Um, the uh, but. But yeah, and so when that became attractive, and then, but obviously Bitcoin had a very limited use. It was just transferring uh, value from one to the other, one party to another. Uh, But then when Ethereum was created uh, several years later, because they realized, you know, we could use this same mechanism to transfer other pieces of value, then um, that led to an explosion of applications. It was fueled by the increasing rise of Bitcoin. you know, a whole lot of people realised they could make quick money outside the regulatory system, and then suddenly that uh, you know we had that bubble that happened um, you know through into early last I guess, year, late two yeah late two thousand seventeen, early two thousand and eighteen. Yeah, um, you know we we really came into the sector in that two thousand and seventeen, and we were looking at it, and as so I say, we we liked the underlying blockchain architecture, which is really a way to move value from one party to another outside the normal system yeah. um, in a totally trusted way, but we didn't like the cryptocurrency story um, and realised it was only a matter of time before it, it became a regulated market because the technology was too good. Sure. Uh, and that's exactly what happened last year. And because of that sweeping out of the cowboys, if I could put it that way, um, we now have most of the or many of the large corporations starting to take an interest in, in blockchain. Uh, we've got several stock exchanges, including yeah. Australian stock exchanges, uh, already already running um, parallel trading systems on blockchain um, and intend to go fully live on that. I think it's in 2020.
1: And so insurance companies and banks and all of yeah, the major you know, yeah, industries are right. using blockchain one way or another.
2: Yep, uh, and, and my view is in the next decade uh, we'll see that almost anything that involves transfer of value from one party to another, uh, including supply chains, logistics, all these kind of things, will be done on blockchains, whether they're private or public blockchains, whether they have cryptocurrencies or not, it will be a variety of models. But it be, will become a mainstream thing, so an, most forward-thinking larger corporations are certainly involved in either developing or analysing their own uh, application of blockchains in the future.
1: So how does Nature's Coin build trust?
2: Um, Well... Uh, blockchain itself is, of course, um, said to be the you know the trust mechanism. Sure. Um, so once a transaction is locked in the blockchain, because it can't be altered and it's yep. available for everyone can see exactly how it's spent. So it gets around for people. it gets around you know the problem of if I donate to a cause, does it end up where I want it to go? Um, and the answer is, in this case, yes, they can, because they can see it. It doesn't go into the coffers of some NGO or, or, or some charity, uh, and they never know how it's, how it's spent. So it becomes, um, you know, people can trust that what they're doing is uh, is ending up where where they want it to go. For um, uh, for corporations, of course, they're interested, as you, as you mentioned, in uh, uh, risk management and governance, and they also want to see that if they invest in a in a cause or a sustainable project that the money's not siphoned off and, and gone elsewhere and again that's, that's, the, that's the blockchain mechanism allows that to happen plus also obviously the other uh, examination and due diligence uh, and project management um, uh, things that we put in place uh, around the operations of the economy.
1: I, I still think that the most important thing that um, to build trust with nature's coin is the people behind it. And the way you've structured the company, I think is um, is going to be the most, most important thing. Um, the, the track record of the people involved and the corporations that you've got advising you um, are going to be the thing that um, at least in the initial stages encourages people to invest.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, and, and, and we thought so too. Which is uh, I, in terms of the advisory team and everything like that, uh, and 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 the corporate managers and other people. And we're building our team continually um, to uh, you know to add people that have experience in areas that uh, we certainly don't, um, and gradually expand it, and then have the whole thing monitored by our uh, our leading uh, legal
1: and uh, accounting and financial management teams. Yeah. So, will there be a limit to the number of tokens that you issue? No, there won't, Bob. It it will
2: be unlimited. Um, The reason is we're an asset-backed security token, not a cryptocurrency where these things are artificially sort of puffed into existence. So, because every token is backed by a real asset that provides an underlying value and and generates return, the limited token-issue model doesn't apply. Um, and, And because we're an economy... And every time a new release of tokens happens, it's backed by initially money uh, and, and a project. And so the economy, like even though we're a virtual economy, like any real economy, we just continue to grow and grow and grow. So there's no sense in limiting the money supply within yes. this broad-based economic
1: model. So of course, the value of these tokens increases why? I can give you the answer. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, as the nation's calling, the economy grows. Um, you know, its overall value increases. And uh, as more and more corporations and people want to be part of it, just like any social network, um, then the overall breadth and depth of the economy grows, which is going to grow the value of the, uh, of the underlying tokens. Um, as people seeing that it is a good investment, good financial investment, and it is doing good, there will be an increasing demand for that. So the whole um, this generates an accelerated expansion of the economy and keeps pushing up the value of the of the token. Um, we also use because people are involved in in um, in the economy as well. It's, this is not just a you know, institutional fund managers play. This this has People, um, we use interactive media that can generate exposure, sure. um, enhance knowledge of our operations, lift excitement, interest, token circulation, and all those kind of things. So, uh, it's very much a participative economy to uh, to get people involved, to get corporations involved, and and to grow up by that way. So, there's a whole range of mechanisms that we use to grow the the actual underlying value of the token.
1: Ian, as I said earlier, I think it's a fantastic initiative and, and it, you've gone about it certainly the right way and more thoroughly than any other um, blockchain or, or crypto that I've seen, ICO that I've seen. So I want to thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate it. Now to contact Thanks, Ian... Bob. It's a pleasure. To contact Ian and to find out more about Nature's Coin... Go to nature's coin, N A T U R E S C O I N.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel after this short break.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at
1: bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. We're on Voice America Business Network and we're broadcasting today from Hollywood Boulevard, California, where technology meets entertainment. I've got a question for you. How many of you, have fallen for the buy one, get one free con. The word free can turn a rational consumer into a crazed lunatic. They'll stand in a line for three hours to save three bucks and they get into fistfights to buy what is often junk. Now, deep down, most of us understand that nothing's really free. Corporations don't offer deals out of the goodness of their hearts. They do it because it's great for business. Now, are these deals even worth it? Well, what's interesting, if you offer a group of people a Hershey's Kiss for a penny or a much higher quality, say, lint truffle for 15 cents, which one would you pick? Now, this experiment was run exactly like this. And they found that 73% of people chose the pricier lint. But when he changed the price of Hershey's Kiss from a penny to free, people switched. Everybody picked the Hershey's Kiss. We're talking about a penny. The introduction of that one word free entirely reversed the outcome of the study. So, When confronted with a purchasing choice, we typically run a quick sort of internal cost-benefit analysis, I suppose, weighing potential satisfaction and joy against the price. But the behavioural scientists concluded that when the word free is introduced, it not only decreases the cost, but it makes us believe the benefits of the free item are much higher. As a result, we fall victim to the zero price effect. A phenomena where our demand for an item dramatically increases when it's free. The moment something is free, we all get excited and we no longer think rationally. And for more than a hundred years, retailers have taken advantage of our lunacy by enlisting a promotion known as Buy One, Get One Free. And Buy One, Get One Free. Offers make up an estimated 80% of all free promotions. A whopping 93% of all shoppers have used a buy one, get one free, and 66% of them say it's their favorite type of discount. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Of course, the buy one, get one free deal isn't the only free promotion retailers get used to drive consumption. Most uh, online clothing brands offer free shipping, with the catch that you have to meet a minimum purchase. Maybe it's a hundred bucks to qualify. So fifty-eight percent of consumers will add an additional item to their cart, often stuff they don't want, didn't intend, didn't originally intend to purchase, just to save five to ten bucks on shipping. <laughs> Aided by the psycholo- psychological hypnotism of free. All these strategies result in increased sales at no burden to the retailers. It's you that's paying for it. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anybody can be ordinary. Every bastard can be ordinary. It's Easy, And if you're ordinary, you're going to be normal. You're going to be boring. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll be broadcasting from our studios in Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard.
0: You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.